Welcome to this podcast from the Rheumatology and Arthritis Learning Network. I'm your moderator, Rebecca Mashaw. I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Karen Kostenbader, a professor of medicine at Harvard University Medical School and director of the lupus program at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. We're going to be discussing recent research she and her colleagues conducted into a very interesting topic, whether a healthy lifestyle might actually help to reduce the risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis among women. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us about your study, Dr. Kostenbeer. Sure, thank you very much for inviting me. This is fun to be here. Great. To begin with, what sparked your interest in this particular topic? So I've been interested, I guess, in uh, factors that are associated with increasing risk and with decreasing risk of rheumatoid arthritis and systemic lupus erythematosus related autoimmune disease uh, for many years, probably for, yeah, for all of my rheumatology uh, career. And we've identified a lot of factors. I think when I went to medical school that the, well, the impression I got, if not the prevailing thought was that these are diseases that come out of nowhere because you have a family history and that, you know, you inherit genes from your parents and they're mainly genetic diseases. And I think a lot of progress has been made over the past 20, 25 years in understanding and identifying the genetic risk factors for these diseases. But we, over the years, have also understood that there are many, many environmental, lifestyle, behavioral risk factors that contribute to risk as well. And I think even I did not realize the extent to which that if you add these up, these risk factors are important for, um, for the risk of RA and lupus. So would you give us an overview of your study, please? This study was in the uh, Nurses' Health Study, in the Nurses' Health Study 2, which are two very large cohorts of women that have been followed for all kinds of diseases and all kinds of risk factors. Uh, The Nurses' Health Study started in 1976, and the Nurses' Health Study 2 in 1989, and um, women were all registered nurses from across the country, and they have been very, very good at um, filling out questionnaires over many, many years about their exposures and about their diseases, and they're all nurses, and they've really been fantastic about staying um, in touch. So that's been just a treasure trove of data, and over the years, we've looked at many different risk factors for developing rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, as I mentioned. And here we have, uh, so I should also say that over the years, we have identified new cases, so incident cases. So the women um, back in 1976 uh, were younger, obviously, we've followed for, for many, many years, up to about over 30 years now, and we've identified new cases. So the nurses self-report that they have developed rheumatoid arthritis, then we ask them for about their symptoms, and we ask them for a release of their medical records, which we have gone through painstakingly every, every self-report since the beginning of time, it seems like, and identify whether they really did have new onset rheumatoid arthritis when they had it, their symptoms and their treatments. And so since the beginning of the cohorts, we've identified there were 1,219 cases of incident rheumatoid arthritis um, that were studied in this this study. And that's uh, among the 240,000 women in the nurses' health study one and two, which were followed over those years. And so then we looked at, um, in time-varying updated analyses, we looked at five different healthy lifestyle factors that um, have been associated with risks of other diseases and separately had been associated with risk of RA. 
So we know that smoking is one of the strongest environmental risk factors for RA. And in many studies, um, it has been associated with you know, up to an 80% um, increased risk in women, even higher in men. Uh, this was all women, but um, uh, for risk of developing RA. And then we've also shown that obesity is associated with increased risk of RA. We've shown that an unhealthy diet um, has been associated with risk of RA, um, something called the Alternative Healthy Eating Index, which is a healthy diet. It reduces risk. Um, we've shown that physical exercise for the years prior to RA is associated with reducing risk. And um, drinking a little bit of alcohol um, in the one half drink a day, very moderate, low range risk, was also associated with a decreased range of risk of um, developing RA. So these have been um, looked at separately and they've also been put together in what was called the um, Healthy Lifestyle Index. And that was associated with risk of cancer and cardiovascular disease. So the, in general, these are all healthy lifestyle factors that we should be promoting to everyone. Um, but when we put them together in an index, so from one to five, from zero to five, if you, if you had zero, you did nothing healthy. If you had five, you had the most healthy lifestyle. We saw a dose response. So it didn't matter what order you did these healthy things in. Um, if you did more healthy behaviors, your risk continued to go down. The, the women's future risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis years later was lower and lower for the more healthy lifestyle factors they did. And so the women who had five healthy lifestyle factors had the lowest risk and their risk was only 0.4. So only 40% as high as you know, 1.1 uh, was the reference of people who had most unhealthy lifestyle. So they reduced their risk by 60%, which is enormous by following a very healthy lifestyle. And we did see that very strong trend or dose response. And then when we looked at the entire cohort about, uh, we figured out a metric called the population attributable risk. So how much of the risk of rheumatoid arthritis among all these women in the entire, in both cohorts could be attributed to these risk factors or to adhering to a healthy lifestyle. We found that 34% of the risk of rheumatoid arthritis overall could be attributed to adhering to greater than or equal to four lifestyle factors. So if you were in the most healthy, you had it four or five of these healthy lifestyle factors, 34% of the risk of RA was reduced. So I think there were really very strong results. Um, you know, it makes sense because we've seen individually these things are associated with RA, but um, I, I was really impressed myself with the dose response and how low the risk can be if you follow a very healthy lifestyle. You not only looked at RA among women in general, but also you looked at seropositive and seronegative subtypes. What kind of differences did you find among those populations with respect to their risk of RA and how healthy lifestyle contributed to reducing the risk? You're right. So there are two different flavors or types of rheumatoid arthritis, and we call them seropositive or seronegative. And that has to do with rheumatoid factor and anti-CCP antibodies and whether they're detectable in women who are, women in this case, or people who are being newly diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and so here, and this is general, generally the rule in rheumatoid arthritis in the world, world over, that about two thirds of the cases 
are uh, seropositive, and there's another third of cases that are seronegative when we can't detect those antibodies. And there may be other antibodies that we, uh, to this day, just don't know how to detect because the diseases are pretty similar otherwise. Um, so here of the 1,219 women with incident RA, 776 had seropositivity at time of diagnosis, and 443 were seronegative. So another striking result I thought was that the results were very similar for both seropositive and seronegative women. So the seropositive um, RA risk was reduced by about the same extent as a seronegative um, result. So for each healthy lifestyle index increase, the hazard ratio fell by about the same amount for both seropositive and seronegative. Um, there was a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger for seropositivity because we know that smoking in particular is a stronger, more strongly associated with uh, seropositivity. So we get a little bit more bang for not smoking there. Um, but overall, they were both very, very strong. So it's, it's a very strong take home message for, you know, the public health impact of following a uh, healthy lifestyle. There are many, many reasons for, to follow a healthy lifestyle, not just rheumatoid arthritis. Um, prevention. But if you have a, a family history of rheumatoid arthritis, it's really important. And rheumatoid arthritis can be a very severe disease. So of course, to help reduce the risk of RA, it's necessary to identify patients who may be at the greatest risk of developing RA. So how do we do that? Is it mostly about genetics, about seropositivity? Are there biomarkers that um, the practicing rheumatologists should, should check or even the primary care physician if they're treating patients who have family history of this disease? Well, that's a great question. That's one of my favorite questions. And I think that's where I have been looking for my research and in the past and in, in the future. So now that we know things to do to prevent RA, of course, everybody should be following a healthy lifestyle. Of course, but it's, you know, it, it, it does make the message a little bit stronger if we know exactly how to target which people and there are other things we know are related to risk of rheumatoid arthritis, and there might even be medications to, in the future that we could start earlier to prevent rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so how do we identify the people at highest risk? You're right, the family history is very important, and genetics are very important, but there are other risk factors as well. So we have put them, and there are biomarkers, as you say, so seropositivity. Um, so people who have family members who have rheumatoid arthritis or other related autoimmune diseases are also uh, a risk. So um, rheumatoid arthritis tends to hang with other autoimmune diseases like autoimmune thyroid disease, multiple sclerosis, systemic lupus, um, vitiligo. You know, there are all kinds of autoimmune diseases that may increase your risk for autoimmunity in general and rheumatoid arthritis. And then we have looked at um, in the nurses' health study, we've pr um, produced some, we've done some prediction modeling, putting all the known risk factors we know we do at that point. Actually, we've identified some more since then, but we put in genetics and biomarkers of seropositivity, um, um, ACPA, anti-CCP or ACPA, and rheumatoid factor, as well as lifestyle factors, where people live. We've seen some geographic variation, probably because of environmental exposures and air pollution, other things. And we can get the predictive value or the predictive um, ability of our models, the area under the curve for correctly classifying people who will develop RA in the, in the future up to about 0.76 or 0.8 even, 0.79. And then we validated those in a cohort uh, from Sweden that, um, that included men as, as well. So we have prediction models that are not 
completely ready for prime time um, because you know they don't they don't capture 100% of people and there there are certainly other things but i think that in the future we will be able to especially maybe we'll have therapies that are available for people or very targeted prevention messages uh, if people have strong family histories or tested for antibodies certainly if they have early symptoms we should be able to um, you know, look at genetics, which are more and more available, as well as ask them very simple questions about, are you smoking? You know, looking at their alcohol intake, their, their exercise, exposure to other things, um, air pollution, pesticides, things like that we know are also related to, to rheumatoid arthritis. And maybe, you know, turning it off before it gets really out of control. One interesting point is that if somebody doesn't have RA or isn't aware that they are at risk, they're probably not going to be seeing a rheumatologist. They'll be going to their primary care physician or to an internal medicine physician. You mentioned some early symptoms. What should those clinicians look for among their patients to give them a clue that this may be a patient who has RA beginning to develop or who is really at high risk for developing it? That's a good question, too, because that's a very important question for getting the message out for primary prevention. So in general, you know, people who do or don't have um, family histories of rheumatoid arthritis, but early presentation can be fatigue, which is often missed because, because there's so many things that can cause fatigue with joint pains, especially hands and feet, especially across you know, the the these knuckles, the large knuckles of the hands, and as well as the smaller knuckles, not the not the tips of the fingers, and the wrists, the hands, the feet, the ankles. Morning stiffness, waking up in the morning and feeling like you're the Tin Man. I've had a lot of patients tell me that they feel like the Tin Man. That that feeling of really being stiff in the morning, for, sometimes for several hours, and after inactivity, um, feeling like people are you know accelerated aging, people say they feel so old, they're stiff, they don't have the energy, maybe low grade fevers. These are all things that should be taken very seriously. And then, you know, labs will help, x-rays help, and a rheumatologist helps. But having a low bar for thinking about rheumatoid arthritis, about among other things that can cause inflammatory arthritis or as well. So these lifestyle modifications, as you mentioned yourself, these are just great lifestyle modifications for everybody or, or lifestyle behaviors, I should say. For many people, they would be modifications. This wasn't part of your study, I'm sure, but do you have any suggestions for practicing clinicians who want to help their patients make lifestyle changes, quit smoking, eat a healthier diet, start exercising, because these are notoriously difficult changes for many people to make. What do you tell a colleague who is really struggling with how to really encourage patients effectively to take these steps? Oh, that is that is a very, very big tall order. You're right. Because in medicine in general, we struggle with how to effectively, you know, help people. Smoking cessation is so hard. And, and, you know, dietary, people are a little bit more interested in dietary modification, actually, I take it back, but weight loss, people struggle with weight loss and exercise, and just staying on that, you know, the, the, you know, they can lose weight, and then it comes back, and they can't keep it up. And the same thing with the recidivism and smoking. And there's, 
a huge field of medicine of, you know, encouraging, doing trials, the best way to um, encourage their people to make lifestyle modifications, incentivize them, talk about them. And many physicians do not have time in a 20 minute appointment, 10 minute appointment to talk about all these things. I actually was involved. We actually did a trial um, a few years ago called pre-RA, where we took people who did have a family history of rheumatoid arthritis, there are about 270 of them, and they were randomized to three groups. And um, one just got some uh, information about, they got they all got some testing, but they also, the first group just got a standard pamphlet about this is rheumatoid arthritis. And the second one got more in-depth talking to them about their lifestyle factors. And then the third got genetics and a genetic uh, counselor as well to talk to them about their genetic risk and these lifestyle factors. And then each group was asked to think about which lifestyle factor they'd like to change. And they were smoking and obesity and others that are related to RA. And so it did turn out that just the, we looked at um, what's called the stages of motivation to change, Prochaska's ladder. So the, the outcome was just, could we motivate patients to move up the ladder towards change? Were they more interested in changing their lifestyle and making a, a change for the good to reduce their risk of rheumatoid arthritis? And it was the group that was randomized to getting, both getting personalized feedback about their personal uh, risk factors and about their genetics, more than just getting, you know, this is RA and, and it's coming to you. <laughs> So I think that education is really, really important. This is hopefully one more thing we can educate our patients about, but I, I understand that it's very, very hard. And that is a little bit where we are now. How do we, we now identify these risk factors, but how do we get the word out? How do we motivate people to take care of themselves, to, do, to follow all these healthy lifestyles and make some very difficult um, changes sometimes? Well, congratulations on a very interesting study, and I look forward to speaking with you again, I hope, about further research that you're doing along these lines, and thank you for spending this time with us today. Thanks, Rebecca. It was nice to meet you. It was fun talking. You too.